Hi everyone, welcome to the Horse.com's Ask the Vet Live tonight, which is May 23rd, 2013. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, digital editor of the Horse.com. Tonight's topic is vaccination and immunity, what horse owners need to know, and it's brought to you by our sponsors, Zoetis. We're joined tonight by our, by our experts, Dr. Beth Davis, who is with Kansas State University, and Dr. Mark Chrisman, who is with Zoetis. Welcome, doctors. Thank you. Hello, thank you. So starting with you, Dr. Davis, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with vaccinations and horses? Sure, um, I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you guys this evening and so I'm an equine internist by training and uh, my research area of expertise is in equine immunology and specifically in vaccine effectiveness and looking at immune responses that are induced following vaccination. Okay and Dr. Chrisman uh, what about you what's your experience? Uh, thank you uh Michelle, my experience is uh, I'm also by training um, an equine internist, uh, and along with being a lifelong horse owner, uh, much to my wife's chagrin at times, um, I've, uh, again, my most of my research has been uh, in the fields of, of immunology and inflammation, uh, so I was with the... Uh, I was on faculty at the Virginia Maryland Regional College of Veterinary Medicine for 25 years, um, and I just recently joined Zoetis about three years ago. Okay. Well, thank you both for joining us, um, and I know you'll have some great answers for the questions that have been sent in by our audience. We received some really, really great questions on this topic, a very popular topic tonight. I just want to let everyone listening know that we'll be talking about vaccinations for right around an hour. Sometimes we go a little bit long, but uh, we'll try to keep it to an hour. Um, and if you're listening live, you're welcome to submit questions live. Uh, that would be in your web browser right in front of you. You can type in your question and you can send it in to us. Our editor-in-chief, Stephanie Church, is back there very quietly uh, reading your questions and sending them to me as we go. Um, I want to let you know that we'll be talking about some vaccine basics. We'll be talking a lot about adverse reactions because we've got a lot of questions along those lines. And then about special needs horses and vaccination. So let's go ahead and get started. And Dr. Chrisman, I want to ask you to please explain to the audience what is a vaccine when we're poking our horses with these needles or doing something up their nose? What are we doing for our horse or what is our veterinarian doing for our horse? Okay, Michelle. I, I honestly could take up the entire hour with this, but I'll, I'll do it in two minutes or less. Yeah, you get the elevator um, pitch on this. Okay. Uh, basically, vaccination is, is simply the administration of some antigenic material uh, that is designed to stimulate the individual's immune system. So, in a sense, it's priming the immune system. Uh, the role of vaccines is that they can prevent or uh, ameliorate or lessen uh, illness uh, from a potential infection or infectious diseases. But the trick comes in uh, where the decisions concerning vaccine selection, uh, administration protocols, uh, things of that nature are really quite complicated. So in a sense, it's not one size fits all. 
Um, so, again, these decisions are based on risk of the diseases, the consequence of the specific disease. So, for example, we know, and we'll, I think we'll have some discussion here about rabies, where we know the consequences are devastating. Uh, certainly the effectiveness of the product, and then, again, potential adverse events. Um, so you have to really weigh the, the cost of the immunization versus the potential cost of the disease. But you really shouldn't base your decision on, uh, the, on an inexpensive vaccine. So, again, you typically get what you, uh, what you pay for. The other thing we have to remember that vaccine programs are really designed to protect a population of animals along with the individual. So, um, and again, we also have to keep in mind that it may not protect every individual uh, completely, even if they are properly vaccinated. So really, no vaccine is, is 100%. Um, and the other thing is that vac vaccination is not a remedy for poor management. So without proper management, uh, parasite control, um, all those things, uh, biosecurity measures, the vaccine is not going to totally protect you. Um, the, the last thing really is that you have to remember, too, that vaccine is not that if you vaccinate an animal, it's not immediate. So if your horse has never been vaccinated, it steps on a rusty nail, you decide to vaccinate it with tetanus uh, vaccine, it's too late. It takes a couple of weeks, and I know we're going to address that uh, issue also. So it takes a couple of weeks for them to gain active immunity. Um, but, but in the end, you have to remember that vaccination is by far the most, really the most efficient and cost-effective method of controlling infectious diseases in your horses. I don't know if that was two minutes, but close. <laughs> well, thank you, Dr. Crispin. Dr. Davis, did you have anything to add with what Dr. Crispin's shared? No, I, I think that was a, a great overview of what we're trying to do in terms of turning on the immune system in a very specific manner. So when the horse is exposed to an infectious pathogen, they're ready, they're well-armed to handle it, and hopefully have minimal to no disease. Okay. And Dr. Davis, we have a question that came from Shelly in northern Michigan. And Shelly wanted to know, why do horses need vaccinations every year, those annual vaccines? And she also wants to know how soon after the horse has been vaccinated that, that it, the horse will be protected. And Dr. Chrisman just touched on this a little bit, um, but can you share with us? Absolutely. So, um, You've, you really do. You've got a, a lot of really great questions this evening, and, and this is a good one to start with. And really, again, the goal of vaccination is to keep the horse healthy. And so depending on the pathogen that we are vaccinating the horse against, there are going to be different recommendations. Sometimes it's contingent upon the um, the vaccine that we're using, the kind of vaccine that we're using, other times it has to do with the risk of the disease, and so um, it has to do with how well protected that horse is against um, a specific pathogen. And so to answer the question, why do horses need vaccines every year, it's to make sure that the immune system is reminded, if you will, um, in a very specific way how to respond to that pathogen should it encounter it 
in a more robust challenge. And so um, it keeps that immune system primed and ready so when the horse sees that pathogen, it can be protected from disease. And um, some vaccines um, need to be given more frequently than once a year. Many of them are administered annually, but it's very important that vaccine recommendations are followed very carefully. Um, the vaccine manufacturers, such as Zoetis and other companies out there, they take a lot of time, effort, and money that are put into uh, investigating what is the best way to induce an immune response. And so we really do have to follow those recommendations very carefully so we can optimally induce immune responses. To answer the second part of the question in terms of when is the horse protected from disease, that kind of goes back to a, a, an important point that Dr. Chrisman brought up, and that is when we start vaccinating a horse, um, we need to prime that immune system in such a way that when we give a booster vaccine, it's ready to handle that booster vaccine. Usually that first series is going to take place um, in the first year of life, and that's going to be a little bit contingent on the age of the foal and, um, the and the pathogen that we're protecting against. But let's say we started vaccinating between four and six months of age. We started with an initial series of three vaccines. That individual is going to receive those three vaccines over the course of the next several months. By the time that individual is a year of age, they're vaccinated appropriately for that pathogen. Then, say, a year or at two years of age, they're going to get a booster vaccine. That booster vaccine will kick in and provide protection in the order of two to four weeks. But again, it does depend a little bit on the type of vaccine that is administered and the pathogen that we're vaccinating that individual against. But usually it's going to be at least uh, two weeks until we've got a really good immune response that has been induced from that booster vaccine. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Davis. Our next question is for Dr. Chrisman, and it came from Luella in Maine. And Luella wants to know what the recommended shots are for your horse every year. How do we know what our horse should be vaccinated for? Dr. Chrisman? Okay, Luella, that's, that's a great question. Um, and again, this I referred to it a little bit in the beginning. It really it kind of depends on the area, what uh, your horse does living. Uh, so there's a, the management, there's a whole lot of factors that go into this. Now, just generally, and I'm going to refer your listeners to if they don't already know about this, but the AAEP or the American Association of Equine Practitioners, their website, which is aaep.org, uh, really has some excellent information on it. And essentially what they've done a couple of years ago, they identified what they called um, core vaccines and risk-based vaccines. Now, these core vaccines, uh, the reason they're called core is that these vaccines over decades of use have clearly demonstrated efficacy and safety. So we know that, the, that, uh, that these vaccines will work if properly administered. And the ones that fall into that category are tetanus, uh, both eastern and western encephalomyelitis, West Nile virus, and rabies. Uh, now, you can guess that all those are 
fairly severe diseases. Uh, they're all capable of killing your horse. Some of them uh, would be a zoonotic or they'd be a risk to us also. So those are the, the five vaccines uh, that are recommended uh, that all horses should get. Now, the risk-based vaccines, that list is pretty long, and I won't go into the whole long list, but generally the, the big ones that it includes are influenza and herpes, uh, Potomac horse fever, strangles, botulism, that's just to name a few. And those, the decision to vaccinate for the risk-based uh, category is, is really between you and your veterinarian and what your horse does for a living. In other words, what, what risk or what exposure does he have? So, for example, if the horse is on the show circuit, we know that the respiratory viruses uh, can be a major problem, uh, influenza, and you're all well aware of the uh, the herpes uh, outbreaks that we've had over the last several years. So if the horse is traveling and at risk for those, it may be wise to uh, to vaccinate against those specific pathogens. Strangles is another one, and we uh, we've got several more questions I believe that are related to strangles. Uh, if you're in an area where they've never seen strangles, you don't have it. It's not a problem. I probably would not use it. Uh, on the flip side of that, um, if there has been a strangles issue on the farm or a neighbor, uh, you probably want to include that. So I hope that answered the question in sort of broad strokes. Okay. Thanks, Dr. Christman. Our next question is for Dr. Davis. And Robin in New York wants to know how long vaccines are truly effective for. Sure. Hi, Robin. Um, a, another good question, um, and again, it relates a little bit back to um, some of the points I was making on my last answer, and it does depend a bit on the pathogen that we're talking about, and so um, many of the vaccines, say many of even the core vaccines, um, require an annual booster. In terms of answering the question of how long are they truly effective, that would be best answered by things like challenge studies. And so the recommendations that are made and the labels that are approved for use and the recommendations that veterinarians use in general are going to be a result of knowing that in the face of a challenge, the horse is still going to be protected from disease. And so that's why when looking specifically at a pathogen, say looking at tetanus, the horse had the initial series, is getting an annual booster, we know that when that horse gets that annual booster, that horse is good for a year to be protected against the, um, the bacteria that causes tetanus. And um, uh, the, I think there was a second part to that question, are there any of them that are effective for longer than a year? And so based on the labels that we have and the products that we have available for horses, um, the answer is no, these are one-year vaccines or less than that, again, depending on whether we're talking about core or risk-based vaccines. Okay, thank you, Dr. Davis. Our next question, um, we're getting into our strangles questions that uh, Dr. Chrisman had mentioned. Dr. Chrisman, Jennifer in Seattle wants to know, are vaccinations such as those for strangles really necessary every six months? And is it possible to over-vaccinate a horse against a pathogen? Dr. Chrisman? Uh, okay. Well, Jennifer, strangles, when I list a few of my favorite things, strangles is not one of them. <laughs> um, this question goes back to what I, I alluded to before. Uh, if you are in an area where st 
triangles does not exist, uh, I would not include it. However, with that said, uh, I have seen multiple triangles outbreaks, uh, and if you are indeed in a high-risk area, um, I would certainly recommend vaccinating annually, uh, and in some cases, it may be necessary to do it twice a year. So uh, I'll give you some examples. That down here, I'm in a university town, uh, as Dr. Davis is in a university town, um, and we have students that come from all over the United States, and they bring their horses to all the local boarding stables, and I can almost guarantee uh, that somebody's going to bring some presents with them. Uh, so in situations like that, the stables recommend that they do vaccinate uh, every six months. So and that falls into the risk-based category. Um, so if it's there, you probably need to pay attention to it and vaccinate. Um, if it's not, I probably I wouldn't worry about it. Now, the next question, can you over-vaccinate a horse? Uh, and I may ask Dr. Davis for some help on this. Um, certainly, any time you give an antigen uh, or you're priming the immune system or reminding it of a pathogen, there are risks involved. You're going to set up an inflammatory reaction, basically. So you're priming the immune system, um, and there are inflammatory mediators that are involved in this. So I guess my feeling is to safely to minimize the number of vaccines. So my answer would be, yes, you probably could over-vaccinate, but there's, you know, there, there are risks involved in it. So, I, Beth, do you have anything to add to that? Um, I guess I would, I, I agree with everything that you've said, and I would just say that this is the reason it's important to work with a veterinarian and work with the manufacturers of these vaccines when questions come up, because these vaccines have been very carefully evaluated um, for safety and efficacy. And so when following those recommendations, um, they are a safe product to be administering. We're going to talk about some of the nuances or um, exceptions to that when we get into some of the problems that people see on occasion. Okay. Right. So our next question um, is related. Um, Dr. Davis, Susan in Virginia wants to know if it's better to vaccinate for strangles IM or internasally. Mm -hmm. What are your recommendations on that? Well, good question, Susan. And unfortunately, it's going to be another one of those answers that it's, uh, it's going to come down to. It depends a little bit. Um, we do have a couple different options when it comes to vaccinating against Streptococcus equi, the organism that causes strangles. And I think looking at it from an immunologic standpoint, it's a respiratory pathogen, causes respiratory disease. And when we can simulate disease as close to the natural thing as possible, um, we're going to have the best protection possible. And so what I mean by that is when we're using a vaccine like a modified live vaccine that's given by the mucosal route or the intranasal route, that's going to simulate um, the strangles disease itself, but in a very safe way. And so that's a very effective way to induce an immune response. And so if we're in a high-risk situation and it's indicated to vaccinate the average healthy horse against developing strangles, the intranasal vaccine is a really nice option for us. 
However, with that being said, there are circumstances where we might prefer to use an alternate route, and an example of that would be maybe a broodmare um, that is at risk um, for being exposed to this bacteria or her foal might be at risk, and so we actually want her systemically to produce a high antibody level and have that high antibody level transferred into her colostrum that she gives to her foal. And so in that setting, it actually might be more beneficial. It will be more beneficial for that mare to receive um, a subunit vaccine in the muscle and have that um, be exposed to her systemically and have high levels of antibody in the colostrum. And so um, working with a veterinarian very closely, this is a very tricky little bacteria. It's been around for a long time, causes a lot of different types of disease, and in high-risk situations, vaccine, it, vaccination is indicated, and working with a veterinarian to determine the best choice for your horse is probably the best way to go. And Dr. Davis, you mentioned the term modified live vaccine. Can you explain to us a little bit about what that means? Right. So it means that it is a form of the bacteria um, that isn't going to cause uh, full-blown strangles, Um, but it's live and it's being introduced to the horse um, in that intranasal uh, region, so at the mucosal um, um, surface. And so the immune system sees that what we call attenuated or less virulent, a very mild strain of the bacteria that can't cause disease but can be very closely simulated to um, what happens when the horse gets exposed, say, at a horse show or at a boarding stable, and so the immune system is well prepared um, to to react to that bacteria. Does that help? Yes. Thank you, Dr. Davis. And so our next question is for Dr. Chrisman, and it's going back to how long are vaccines effective? And this specific question uh, came in from from an audience member asking about dogs and vaccines. Um, she's heard that dogs don't need vaccines as frequently as we once thought. Is the same true for horses? And Dr. Christman, if you want to touch on that, Dr. Davis, you might have something to add. Sure. Um, yeah, it, here's, here's one of my, my, my key comments for the evening. All immune systems are not created equal. I think Dr. Davis would probably agree agree with that. So, for example, I mean, you mentioned in the question, um, I think you mentioned that with uh, dogs that don't need them. One of the things specifically that comes to mind is, for example, rabies, and they have rabies that are approved for three years in dogs. So with the fact that these immune systems are not all created equal, and a lot of this has to be done through testing um, and challenge studies, uh, it's it's... Uh, it's not. It's not an easy. It's not an easy straightforward answer to that. So, for example, the rabies issue with dogs. With cattle, um, you know, they'll give. Uh, they'll have ten different antigens in a vaccine. Cattle can handle that. Um, you know, they have an immune system the size of Detroit, and they can't run very fast, but they've got a heck of an immune system. Uh, horses, on the other hand, are a little bit more finicky. I'm assuming most of the listeners are horse owners. Um, so we don't have, without the challenge studies, uh, to be absolutely on the safe side, we recommend uh, most of these vaccines be given annually. 
Now, in some cases with the respiratory pathogens, for example, the herpes and the influenza, during high-risk seasons or during the spring, summer when horses are out showing, uh, we recommend that they be vaccinated every three or four months uh, to, to have to, to gain some sort of protection from it. So the, the vaccines are not all equal and the immune systems are not all equal. Okay. So I think Thank that was a, a roundabout way to answer that question. <laughs> so horses are not dogs, dogs are not cows, and they're all different. Is that what right. I'm understanding? A, yeah, basically, if we could get a cow system, an immune system into a horse, everybody'd be happy. But <laughs> not, we can't do that right now. Not unless Dr. Davis has some great experiments going on. I don't know about. <laughs> okay, um, Dr. Davis, our next question is from Peg in Aiken, South Carolina, and Peg wants to know if, rather than vaccinating on a regular schedule, can we draw titers from the horses and see if their levels are within a therapeutic range? Um, can you explain right. a little bit about what Peg's asking there and and whether or not that's a possibility? Absolutely. And so when we talked about um, what vaccines actually do, um, we know that vaccines are administered, the immune system sees that vaccine and responds by activating cells and making proteins. And specifically, the proteins that are made are antibodies um, that can be identified in circulation. And so um, by measuring titers or specifically antibody titers, um, sometimes people do ask the question, can we look at the level of a titer and can we confer from that whether or not an individual is protected from disease? And um, although there are people that are looking into this area specifically in horses, um, at this time we do not have any commercial tests that are available that can tell us at what level the antibody titer needs to be to mean that the horse is sufficiently protected from the disease. And so once again, I'm going to go back to the science, the research that has been done to determine that in the face of a challenge, we know that a horse is protected from disease. And again, the vaccine manufacturers have done these studies so that we can feel confident that when we give a vaccine, we have a reasonably good idea how long it's going to be protective to that individual. And when they say we need to give a booster, it's because we know that the antibodies and the cellular responses are starting to come down a little bit. And it's time to remind that immune system to turn things on again in case um, it is um, exposed in a natural setting. Okay. Thanks, Dr. Davis. Um, Dr. Chrisman, our next question is from Rose in New York. And Rose wants to know if it's best to work a horse lightly after it's been vaccinated to help keep it from getting sore. Do you have any thoughts or recommendations on that? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it, I used to recommend that or still do. I mean, it, it, if the horse is uh, a horse that's being worked regularly and used to work, I have no problem with taking them out. Again, we mentioned that they will have some inflammation associated with the vaccine, and this is just the immune system's way of saying, whoops, what have you done to me? Uh, so, uh, so yeah, light work, very light exercise. Um, now, if the horse is not used to work, if it's just a pasture ornament or some farm furniture, but probably, you know, just taking them for a walk, but it's, it's certainly, it doesn't hurt. So I don't, I don't have a problem with that as long as you keep it light and easy and understand that 
and, and, you know, I'm assuming that most of the listeners have been vaccinated at one point or another, you know, you can feel pretty cruddy the next day. So uh, no problem with that. Yeah, those tetanus sh shots in your arms can be pretty sore the next yeah. day from my experience. <laughs> Um, Dr. Davis, our next question is from Cheryl in Indiana, and Cheryl says, I have been told when giving shots to put the needle in and then pull back on the syringe to see if it brings blood after it's gone into the muscle. I have some horses that absolutely hate getting shots. I take the needle off the syringe and stick it in their neck and then put the syringe on. That way, when they jump around, the needle doesn't break off, which could be a big problem. Um, if this is... A she wants to know if this is okay to do or if there's only one right way to give a shot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so vaccine administration, um, it's important to do it in a very safe and clean manner um, because sometimes we have problems if we have contamination or irritation at the site of the vaccine um, where it was administered and we can have things like pretty serious bacterial infection, things like clostridial infection. So... Um, I think this is a good question. Um, it is a good idea to clean the skin surface very thoroughly with isopropyl alcohol um, and to go ahead and have one person that is handling the horse and one person that is administering the vaccine. And that's something that does take some organizing to do, but that really is the safest way to do it. And then the person that is administering the vaccine, I would recommend the needle stay attached to the syringe um, go ahead and grab a pinch of skin on the horse's neck, um, place the needle in syringe, and the purpose of aspirating back and making sure that there isn't any blood that is uh, drawn back is that if the vaccine is administered in the blood vessel, those antigens will be cleared from um, the horse pretty quickly and the horse won't have, the immune system won't have the opportunity to see those antigens. So that's, it's, it's, for antigen exposure to that immune system that it's important it goes in the muscle. Um, and sometimes we have to work a little bit more quickly than others and sometimes we might even have to do something like put a chain over their nose or, or use a little bit more stringent restraint methods. My concern with taking the needle off and putting that in and then attaching the syringe is the potential for irritation, even the potential for contamination at that site and um, I think we run the risk of having secondary complications a little higher. So I would actually recommend syringe and needle in one unit, two people working with that horse, one handler, one person to administer. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Davis. Um, our next question is for Dr. Chrisman, and this is about a special needs horse. Um, it's from Gina in Canada. And Gina wants to know how old is too old to vaccinate a horse? Gina has a friend whose horse is 33, and he seems to have gotten pretty sore and, and sick after vaccines. Uh, should they continue vaccinating him? Um, well, Gina, first, congratulations on a horse that's 33 or about 100 in human years. Um, that's admirable. Uh, so obviously somebody's taking care of this horse. Uh, the other, actually, I just, just realized that this is a fairly timely question because I think if you look at the last, the latest issue of the horse, uh, they've got a whole section in there on care and maintenance of the geriatric horse. Uh, so, again, just briefly, geriatric horses, special needs horses, um, in some respects are going to be like foals uh, in the sense that they're 
their immune response is diminished. So their immune system is not what it used to be. Uh, so certainly that makes them more susceptible to pathogens, more susceptible to disease. Uh, and secondly, if they do happen to get exposed to something, they just can't fight it off. So this is where, this is where you have to do sort of a risk-benefit ratio. What is his risk? Is he in with younger horses? Is he, uh, you know, are there uh, horses that are in the group that are being going out and showing or going out and trail riding and mixing with other horses and coming back? Uh, so there's all kinds of there's all kinds of other issues that are associated with this. So is he in a mixed population or is he in a retirement community? Uh, if it's just several old geriatric horses that don't have a lot of exposure. Uh, I would maybe just concentrate on some of the core vaccines um, and maybe not be so concerned about some of the risk-based vaccines. But certainly things like rabies, uh, West Nile virus, those are ones that I would, I would consider. Now, um, you said he seemed to suffer a little bit. I'm not sure exactly how severe that is. Uh, sometimes if we give these horses a little bit of a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory or a little banamine, uh, that certainly helps them through the night. So um, I, I guess the bottom line here is I would not discontinue his his vaccination regimen, uh, but I would have a careful evaluation with your veterinarian uh, and see what is essential understanding that his immune system uh, is compromised because he's 33. And I'd like to see him get to 34, 35, so... Well, thank you, Dr. Christman. Our next uh, question is for Dr. Davis, and it's from Debbie in Virginia. And this is an, another question about over-vaccinating. Are there risks for over-vaccinating? Dr. Davis, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good thought that people have as far as, I mean, the goal is to keep our horses healthy and, above all, cause no harm. And so we do want to think, again, about the risk of disease, and um, especially when looking at those core vaccines, those are recommended so that we can keep horses healthy. And so by following those recommendation schedules, um, we're not going to over-vaccinate horses. We're going to keep them healthy and, and really minimize the chance that they're going to get really sick from some of those very serious, potentially deadly diseases. And similarly, when we really use an approach of what is the horse at risk for developing um, based on their exposure level, based on other horses in their environment, what they are doing, how hard they're working, um, I think we can be pretty strategic in vaccinating them against what they're at risk for developing and not vaccinating them for things that are just unnecessary. And so um, I think by using an appropriate, a strategic, working with your veterinarian on what sort of organisms the horse needs to be vaccinated against, um, the risk of over-vaccinating is actually pretty low. Okay. And Dr. Davis, we have a question that's come in from our live audience about vaccination handling. Ed in Texas wants to know, how long can you refrigerate vaccine med medications in the syringes before use. What are your recommendations on that? 
again, I'm going to go back to the vaccine manufacturers. Um, I think there are a few different issues with a question like that. One of the questions is, or and one of the issues is to be very careful that there has not been any break in the cold chain. And so when that vaccine is produced, it needs to be it needs to be maintained in a refrigerated temperature until it is administered. We can't break that cold chain. And so knowing exactly where that vaccine came from and how it has been handled, assuming that it has been handled properly, if it was um, produced in a syringe and it is in its own packaging from the manufacturer, there will be an expiration date on that vaccine. So maintaining the cold chain in refrigeration and following that expiration date, giving it, administering it prior to that expiration date, that vaccine should be efficacious at the time of administration. Okay. And Dr. Christman, would you say that a vaccine, a vaccine needs to go straight from the refrigerator into the horse? I know that sometimes there's a temptation to or accidentally leave them on your car seat or go out to the barn and have them sitting out. Um, is that a concern? That, yeah, and, and Dr. Davis mentioned that. And, and yeah, I mean, the chain of custody is critical with these vaccines, and I know we've got a few questions coming up related to adverse events. Um, but, yeah, the vaccines that sit on the dashboard of your car and sit in the sun for a while, bad idea. Uh, so it, it's, they should be pulled up out of a refrigerator and administered shortly after that. Um, and I, again, I'm just going to make a quick point here. Um, I know a lot of people like to get their vaccines from tractor supply stores or ag stores, feed stores. Uh, one of the things we don't know with those vaccines is, is, the, is the chain of custody, basically. If that vaccine happened to get delivered on a Friday afternoon on Memorial Day weekend and nobody picks it up till Monday morning and puts it in the freezer or, I'm sorry, the refrigerator, um, those vaccines are essentially worthless. Now, again, and that's why I stress having a veterinarian involved in the decision and in the administration is, is really the ideal way to go. So I apologize for going off there a little bit, but I feel pretty strongly about that. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Christman. That's good information for everyone. Um, I have a question for Dr. Davis from Heidi in New York. And Heidi wants to know if giving the usual rhino vaccines um, every two to three months will help prevent the neurologic form of equine herpes virus. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Davis? Yeah, this is an important question, um, and it goes back to a, a little bit um, what we talked about earlier, and um, that has to do with um, equine herpes virus in general. And so um, we have a few different types of disease that can be induced by equine herpes vi virus, and specifically EHV1 is what I'm referring to here. And so we can have respiratory disease, we can have abortion, um, we can have neurologic disease that's induced by um, this same virus. And so when we are um, thinking about protecting horses against this virus, we do have to think about what is our goal. We have vaccines that are labeled for protection against respiratory disease and against abortion. 
Unfortunately, at this time, we do not have a vaccine that is labeled for protection against the neurologic form of the disease. The vaccines that are labeled for protection against respiratory disease or rhinopneumonitis um, actually have a little bit lower concentration of antigen in them when we compare that to the vaccines that are labeled for protection against abortion, what we call the high antigen load vaccines. And then we do have a modified live vaccine in the form of Rhinimmune uh, that is labeled for respiratory disease, but because it is a modified live vaccine, it, does, it is a little bit more potent in its activity. And so at this time, and consistent with the recommendations from AAEP as well as ACVIM in a recent consensus statement, probably we have a, a few different things we have to do to try to protect against the neurologic form of herpes. And one, biosecurity is really important and the management of horses being aware of that disease. In terms of a vaccine strategy that may help, again, we don't have a vaccine labeled for protection against the neurologic form of herpes, but what we can do is use either the high antigen load vaccines, so those vaccines that are labeled um, to protect against abortion or rhinomune that may provide better protection um, to horses that are high risk for um, for the development of um, the neurologic form of EHV1. And so an example of a high antigen load vaccine is Pneumobort K, and this is one of the ways that that vaccine currently is administered to try to maintain as high of a level of immunity as possible um, to try to minimize the chance for neurologic herpes. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Davis. Um, Dr. Chrisman, we're going to switch gears here to tetanus. Um, Sylvia in British Columbia wants to know, how often does a horse really need a tetanus vaccine? She says, I've been told by various vets once a year, once every two years, and also once every five years. Humans only need it every 10 years. Um, so why would a horse need it every year? Uh, Dr. Chrisman? Um, okay, Sylvia, and, and I'll, I'll try not to be cavalier in my response here. Um, the, the organism that causes tetanus is, is Clostridium tetani, and that organism basically is ubiquitous in the soil. So it's in the feces, it's all over. Now, um, humans needing the vaccine every five to ten years, sure, but I assume you're not sleeping in the soil with rusty nails. You probably have a nice, clean, warm bed. Your horse, on the other hand, where is he sleeping? Where do they live? So the risk, it, it comes down to the risk. Um, they, and, I, and I say, you know, people say, well, horses are not that smart. Well, I disagree. They're pretty smart. They can find a nail, one nail in a 20-acre pasture really easily. There are no um, nails in my pasture, Dr. Chrisman. <laughs> are you sure? I'll take you up no, on that. I won't. I, I, won't, a, I won't take that bet. <laughs> I have a giant magnet. Guarantee you I'll find a sharp I'm, piece of wire or a nail. So yeah, my, my horse would probably find it first. <laughs> exactly. So, and like I said, they're pretty smart. They can find these things. Unfortunately, they find them by sticking them in their feet or impaling some important bodily organ. So, um, so essentially, this comes down to risk. Horses are at much higher risk because their exposure is so much more than our exposure than our dog's exposure, 
so that is one that I would not compromise on at all because if you've ever seen a horse with tetanus, it's a horrible, horrible thing. I've seen foals with tetanus. Um, I'm sure Dr. Davis has seen some foals with tetanus, and it's tragic. So, again, it's, uh, it, it is a very inexpensive uh, way of combating the disease. The vaccine is very effective, uh, and I would definitely keep it on my annual vaccine list for the horses, and that's why it's included in the core vaccines for horses. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Christman. Uh, Dr. Davis, we have a question from Duke in Indiana, and Duke wants to know what the disease is that's associated with mares aborting foals during their pregnancy, and he wants to know, can I vaccinate before breeding and how often during pregnancy uh, to protect the mares uh, and her, her unborn foal? Do you have any recommendations? Yeah. So, um, Duke, I'm, I believe that you're probably talking about EHV1. Um, we also, and so that's the virus that we've been talking about a bit, and I just answered a few questions on. Um, regarding different kinds of disease that that virus can cause. Um, and abortion is certainly one of the diseases it can cause. And so that's what I'm going to focus my answer on here. Um, and so in terms of vaccination, we do use a little bit different strategy in broodmares compared to other horses um, and protecting against abortion from that virus. And so consistent with the AAP guidelines, um, we do have to vaccinate mares pretty frequently, and it does um, have to occur during pregnancy. And so um, at a minimum, we like to vaccinate them at five months, seven months, nine months, and then even a booster before foaling. And some people even add in another one at three months of gestation. So that's throughout all of pregnancy. And what that means is that that vaccine it does an okay job and we can prevent from um, abortion, but um, we still have a risk that we could um, have abortion occur. And so we have to keep reminding that immune system throughout pregnancy um, and, and boosting it against that virus. So she needs to be vaccinated quite a bit. Um, other horses in that environment, preferably you would have a closed herd. So horses that are um, brood mares say on a property, they live together, they're on the same vaccine protocol, and we really try to minimize the exposure of those mares to outside horses. Other horses, um, healthy horses, should be vaccinated depending on what their exposure risk is um, for EHV1, say respiratory disease. Um, that's usually going to be at least a couple of times a year. If they're going to horse shows, they may need to be vaccinated more frequently than that to protect against respiratory disease. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Davis. Um, Dr. Christman, we have a question from Mary Jo in Woodenville, Washington, and she wants to know if we need to vaccinate for rabies in our horses, and if so, how often? Uh, my response is an unequivocal absolutely. Um, Rabies, again, is in the core-based vaccine. Um, it is zoonotic, meaning that uh, it can go from your animal, your horse, your dog, to you. Um, and, again, the ones that are at most like, I had a client one day. Uh, he had some horses, and he also had a flock of sheep. He went home at noontime. He called me up. This is noon in the summer, early summer, late spring, actually. Uh, and he said, I have a 
skunk in my with my sheep, and the skunk is acting like a border collie. It's hurting my sheep. Is there something wrong with that? I said, uh, yeah, that skunk is dangerous. So um, the interesting thing here is that we very frequently see it in foals because they'll see a, an animal that's behaving in a very peculiar fashion. Adult horses have learned enough to stay away from that. Foals are inquisitive. They walk up, and they get nipped right on the nose, and that's it. So we have had several foals, a lot of cattle that come in, and occasionally we'll see a horse. But uh, this is something that um, uh, that you absolutely have to do, uh, starting when these foals are four to six months of age, putting them through the priming couple of series, two vaccines, and then an annual vaccination. But this is one that is absolutely critical. And I know a lot of people skip it because they say we don't see it. Well, yes, it's out there, um, and it's it, it can be quite devastating. So my answer is absolutely. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Chrisman. And I just want to let everyone know that we're down to having just about 10 minutes left, and we still have a ton of questions. Um, so I'm going to move through these doctors. I might not be going in the same order that you're expecting, so just I'll keep you on your toes. Um, we have a question that came in live from Amy in Pennsylvania, and Dr. Davis, she wants to know if there are any vaccinations you should not give a pregnant mare. Do you have a response for that? Um, the big thing with pregnant mares is just that their immune system isn't quite the same as a non-pregnant individual. And so we want to be really careful on the side of safety. And so what I mean by that is using inactivated vaccines in mares. Um, we don't want to use modified live vaccines in mares. And some vaccines are actually... Um, it's contraindicated or we can't use them. We really do not support their use in pregnant brood mares. And so the big thing would be um, to stay away from modified live vaccines, work with your veterinarian, especially with a pregnant brood mare, to try to ensure her health and minimize the chance that she's going to have any complications from vaccine administration. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Davis. I have another question for you, Dr. Davis, um, from Eva in Romania. And Eva wants to know if the horses should be vaccinated if they know that something stressful is going to happen the next day. Either the horse is going to be transported or going to a horse show or there's going to be some change in their environment. Mm -hmm. uh, would you recommend vaccinating in that situation? Yeah, so Eva brings up a great point, and my recommendation would be no. Um, again, we're trying to work with the immune system and have that immune system do the best job it possibly can. And things like stress, um, strenuous exercise, long-distance transport, these are things that we know can turn down the immune system. Once in a while, a vaccine may not be able to do the best job possible, and it may relate to the horse not being, uh, you know, not being um, at its peak of immune responsiveness. And so something like going to a horse show or having even just a big school the next day um, could be a little bit hard on them and we may not get an optimal immune response. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Davis. Um, Dr. Christman, we have Brittany in Utah and she wants to know if a horse has not been vaccinated in five years, where should she start? Um, Brittany, and I'll try to be brief. Uh, 
those horses, if they have not, or the vaccination history is completely unknown, and you know for certain that it hasn't been vaccinated over that extended period, you really, sh to, to be absolutely sure, you need to start over. So what that means is uh, priming the immune system again, uh, because, and I'll give you an example with West Nile virus, for example. Um, you really should give that horse the two priming doses four to six weeks apart, and then go after that, go into your annual vaccine six or eight months after that. Um, and so you can boost her annually. Uh, rabies, the same thing. I mean, you probably should give it a single dose or a booster and then go into your annual vaccination several months after that. Um, but, yeah, to be absolutely safe, if the vaccination history is unknown or you're pretty certain it's been longer than five years or longer, you need to start over again, sadly. But to do the best job, that's what you need to do. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Chrisman. Um, Dr. Davis, we have a question from Jocelyn in Quebec, and she says that she's heard that vaccinating horses can cause laminitis. She wants to know if that's true, and if so, why would that happen or how would it happen? Do you have any information on that topic for Jocelyn? Right. Well, laminitis is a pretty complicated disease, and there's a lot of excellent work that's been done and a lot more ongoing work looking at it. But Really, it's a disease of changes at the level of the vasculature um, and things like um, changes in proteins that are produced in the region of the laminae in that sensitive tissue within that hoof wall. And sometimes um, the immune system can be stimulated in such a way that the horse can get a little bit sick from a vaccine. Um, and so we can have things like systemic responses to the vaccine that could interfere or influence the cardiovascular system. And once in a while, it's not very common at all, it's actually quite rare, but once in a while horses will get sore feet or develop full-blown laminitis following vaccine administration. And so to say that there is a blanket answer on why a horse would develop uh, laminitis post-vaccination, um, it, it um, there are a few different factors. We do know that some diseases, such as things like equine metabolic syndrome, maybe a middle-aged overweight horse that has some other risk factors to develop laminitis, that horse gets vaccinated, has an exuberant immune response at the time of vaccination, then that horse would um, potentially be at higher risk for developing laminitis, say, with an adverse vaccine reaction. So um, for horses that have other risk factors, that um, adverse reaction to a vaccine may push them over the edge, um, but it is kind of a case-by-case -case scenario, again, working with veterinarians um, so that we can minimize any other risks they may have and minimize the chance that they get sore feet after vaccination. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Davis. And Dr. Chrisman, we received a lot of questions about adverse rea reactions and to vaccines in horses. And they range from horses having sore necks, horses not wanting to drink or eat because their necks were sore, or horses that were having trouble walking because of soreness after vaccination. What kind of recommendations do you have for horse owners who have those sensitive animals? Is there anything that they can do for the horse before vaccination or any alternate vaccination schedules they can follow to help their horses out? Um, yeah, and I did I did notice that there were several questions along that line. I just, again, 
you have to understand when we vaccinate a horse that you are going to induce the release of some of these pro-inflammatory cytokines or pro-inflammatory mediators. Now, low quantities of those mediators uh, are essential for an effective immune response. However, some horses uh, will have a, an over-exuberant response of these pro-inflammatory mediators that can be manifest in fever, signs of depression, colic, shock. Um, and again, this can be related to several issues. As long as the chain of custody of that vaccine is appropriate, uh, sometimes, again, they may be reacting to the adjuvants, which are the, we didn't talk about that much, but those are the, actually the carriers or the components in these killed vaccines that help the immune system kind of upregulate and recognize these antigens. Uh, so a couple things I would do. One, a lot of people will use uh, an anti-inflammatory, banamine, to kind of help these horses through it. Um, other things are to basically try, with your veterinarian, look at different uh, uh, manufacturers. Some horses will react to some vaccines from one manufacturer and not another. Uh, so you need to, I hate to say experiment, but you need to work through that. Um, other things are uh, is basically minimizing the number of, of, of vaccinations. So using a monovalent vaccine, so example, a vaccine that has just West Nile virus or just tetanus, uh, and doing it and spacing them out by several weeks. Uh, I know that can be problematic, but if the horse has a fairly violent reaction, sometimes you have to do that to get them through this. Uh, so... Uh, it's, there's not, again, one answer that fits all here, uh, so it, it, it does take time and working with your veterinarian uh, to, uh, to, to get through this and, and realize the best formula. And I've worked with some horses that literally it would take them a couple of months to get vaccinated, and we'd have to use three or four different manufacturers until uh, we found the right combination that these horses would respond appropriately appropriately to. So, I don't know. Dr. Davis, do you have anything you could add to that? Yeah, no, I, I would recommend the same thing. Trying to back down, go for those core vaccines, and use monovalent when possible. Okay. Well, thank you, both of you. Um, Dr. Davis, our next question is from Jules in Illinois, and Jules has always had quarter horses, but recently adopted two rescued miniature horses. And Jules wants to know if the horses, if the miniatures get the same vaccines as the large horses and in the same amounts? Yes. And so, yep, good question, Jules. And the answer is yes. Um, we're going to use the same dose. Um, it's kind of along the lines of what happens with other species. And so in dogs, for instance, we use the same doses. In large and small dogs, we do the same thing in the horses. Um, and we don't want to cut back on those doses because we can't ensure efficacy if we don't use the um, manufactured recommended dosages. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Davis. Um, Dr. Chrisman, we have a couple questions here about donkeys and mules. Uh, Susan in Vermont wants to know if donkeys have any different needs for vaccinations than horses. And Mary in uh, Nevada has mules, and she wants to know if there's any differences between mules and horses. What are your recommendations for those different kinds of equids? Um, 
to my knowledge, uh, I believe that most of the vaccines that we use in horses are going to be applicable to to uh, mules and donkeys. Uh, so I would basically follow the uh, the uh, equine um, the equine vaccin- vaccination schedule for those. Okay. And Dr. Davis, do you have anything to add about mules and donkeys? Nope. I would follow the same recommendations. Okay. Um, and Dr. Davis, I have one more question here that I want to get to uh, with you that that we had planned, and that's from Nancy in Pennsylvania. And Nancy adopted a nurse mare foal who is about 12 weeks old, and she wants to know when she should plan on vaccinating the filly. Uh, Is there any issue with dosing for for a young foal like that? Right. So we're going to assume that this foal um, was on the mare and got colostrum. So from that respect, this foal is not really that much different um, from any other foal that um, is on the mare. And so it's that first 24 hours of life that they will be able to absorb that colostrum from the mare. And after that, they're getting the milk for nutrition, but they're not actually getting any more antibodies from that mare. Um, Vaccination, I would probably start on the early side of things because you don't know exactly how much colostrum the foal had uh, or received from that mare. And um, this foal is, um, you know, a little bit higher risk because it is an orphan and has a few more stressors placed upon it. So this is a foal I would probably start recommending vaccinating at about four months of age. Um, We're actually doing some work looking at how foals respond at an earlier age. I'm going to present that data AAEP this year. And um, we do know that foals do have the ability to respond a little bit earlier than we at one time thought. And so I would probably start, especially for those things like Eastern Equine Encephalomyelitis, Western Equine Encephalomyelitis, West Nile, those um, organisms that cause problems over the summer months to start vaccinating early, follow AAEP guidelines, use an initial series of three vaccines, Um, and keep up with the boosters. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Davis. Um, Well, we are at the end of our hour, but I want to ask each of you uh, for some closing comments. So, Dr. Christman, what's the one thing that you would like the audience to take away from tonight's discussion about vaccines? Um, That's a good question, and uh, and I'll, I'll try to be brief again. I think a couple of things. I think uh, a lot of people try to cut corners, uh, do it themselves, uh, get the vaccines from distributors or catalogs or from the from the uh, you know the farm supply stores. Um, if there's an issue uh, and you do the vaccine and there happens to be one of these adverse events and some of them can be quite severe. Um, it's kind of, you can call your veterinarian, but it's, uh, certainly you should call your veterinarian, but it's different than having him right there when they've administered the vaccine. So I think it's important to have your veterinarian, uh, really involved in the decisions that you make, uh, what program you're going to do, what risk-based vaccines you're going to pursue, um, and, and really have a program that's individually designed for you, that this one side one size fits all really doesn't work. So individualize it, work with your veterinarian because that's what they're there for. That's what we're trained to do. Uh, and I think that will give you your, your best overall uh, results. 
for an incredibly important program. Thank you, Dr. Chrisman. And, and what about you, Dr. Davis? What's the one piece of information you would like people to have tonight as, as we close? Yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would have to agree. I mean, the goal is that we have an effective preventative health program for our horses so that we can keep doing all the things we love doing with them. And so the best way to do that is to be very well informed of the diseases make sure that our horse is very healthy and in good shape when they're getting their vaccines and that we're administering those vaccines as they're intended to be administered. And there's nobody that's better able to help you with that process and even to, to really facilitate that process than your veterinarian with vaccine decision-making as well as vaccine handling, vaccine administration. And if, unfortunately, there is some sort of an adverse reaction, working with the vaccine manufacturer so that you can handle that situation and avoid having any problems in the future. Okay, well thank you Dr. Davis and I want to thank both of you uh, for joining us tonight and answering all these great questions that we got from our audience. I have taken us about five minutes over. Uh, thank you for your extra time and thank you audience for your extra time. Uh, thank you for joining us for the past hour for this live event. Uh, we want to give a special thanks to both our panelists and also our sponsor, Zotus, which brought this event to you for free. If you'd like to listen to the audio of this event again, it will be archived on thehorse.com. You can find that tomorrow. We also have thousands of articles, videos, and fact sheets about all kinds of horse-related health topics on thehorse.com. Go ahead and do a search. If you have vaccination questions that weren't answered, uh, get in that search bar and see, see if you can find some information and talk to your vet. Thank you everyone for joining us and good night. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks, Michelle.